Hi, and welcome to Fido, an audio adventure into fiction, folklore, and fairy tales. I'm John, your host, and thanks for dropping in. This week, I've got something for you that I stumbled across accidentally, and it was too funny to pass up. If you've been listening along, you know that recently I did a three-part Sherlock Holmes story called A Scandal in Bohemia. As it happens, I was on a vacation in San Antonio and just stumbled across a small cabin right in the middle of the city that had been moved there from another part of town, and was once used by the author William Sidney Porter, better known as O. Henry. I decided that fortune had directed me to read some of O. Henry's work on the show, and I didn't have to look far before I found today's story. In his day, Arthur Conan Doyle was making a splash with his famous detective, Sherlock Holmes, and O. Henry didn't miss the chance to poke fun at the character and write a little parody of the most famous detective in fiction. We'll talk just a little about it after the story. And now, as published in Sixes and Sevens by O. Henry in 1911, The Adventures of Shamrock Jones. I am so fortunate as to count Shamrock Jones, the great New York detective, among my muster of friends. Jones is what is called the inside man of the city detective force. He is an expert in the use of a typewriter, and it is his duty, whenever there is a murder mystery to be solved, to sit at a desk telephone at headquarters and take down the messages of cranks who phone in their confession to having committed the crime. But on certain off days, when confessions are coming in slowly and three or four newspapers have run to earth as many different guilty persons, Jones will knock about the town with me, exhibiting, to my great delight and instruction, his marvelous powers of observation and deduction. The other day I dropped in at headquarters and found the great detective gazing thoughtfully at a string that was tied tightly around his little finger. "'Good morning, Watsup,' he said, without turning his head. "'I'm glad to notice that you've had your house fitted up with electric lights at last.' "'Will you please tell me,' I said in surprise, "'how you knew that? "'I am sure that I never mentioned the fact to anyone, "'and the wiring was a rush order not completed until this morning.' "'Nothing easier,' said Jones genially. "'As you came in, I caught the odor of the cigar you're smoking.' I know an expensive cigar, and I know that not more than three men in New York can afford to smoke cigars and pay gas bills, too, at the present time. That was an easy one. But I am working just now on a little problem of my own. Why you have that string on your finger? I asked. That's the problem, said Jones. My wife tied that on this morning to remind me of something I was to send up to the house. Sit down, Watsup, and excuse me for a few moments. The distinguished detective went to a wall telephone and stood with the receiver to his ear for probably ten minutes. "'Were you listening to a confession?' I asked, when he had returned to his chair. "'Perhaps,' said Jones, with a smile. "'It might be called something of the sort. To be frank with you, Watsup, I've cut out the dope. I've been increasing the quantity for so long that morphine doesn't have much effect on me any more. I've got to have something more powerful.' That telephone I just went to is connected with a room in the Waldorf, where there's an author's reading in progress. Now, to get at the solution of this string. After five minutes of silent pondering, Jones looked at me with a smile and nodded his head. Wonderful man, I exclaimed. Already? 
"'It is quite simple,' he said, holding up his finger. "'You see that knot? That is to prevent my forgetting. It is therefore a forget-me-not. A forget-me-not is a flower. It was a sack of flour that I was to send home.' "'Beautiful!' I could not help crying out in admiration. "'Suppose we go out for a ramble,' suggested Jones. "'There is only one case of importance on hand just now.' Old man McCarty, 104 years old, died from eating too many bananas. The evidence points so strongly to the mafia that the police have surrounded the Second Avenue Katzenjammer Gambrinus Club Number 2, and the capture of the assassin is only the matter of a few hours. The detective force has not yet been called on for assistance. Jones and I went out and up the street toward the corner, where we were to catch a surface car. Halfway up the block, we met Rheingelder, an acquaintance of ours, who held a city hall position. "'Good morning, Rheingelder,' said Jones, halting. "'Nice breakfast that was you had this morning.' Always on the lookout for the detective's remarkable feats of deduction, I saw Jones's eye flash for an instant upon a long yellow splash on the shirt bosom and a smaller one upon the chin of Rheingelder, both undoubtedly made by the yolk of an egg. "'Oh!' "'That is some of your detectiveness,' said Rheingelder, shaking all over with a smile. "'Well, I pet you drinks and cigars all around, that you cannot tell what I have eaten for breakfast.' "'Done,' said Jones. "'Sausage, pumpernickel, and coffee.' Rheingelder admitted the correctness of the surmise and paid the bet. When we had proceeded on our way, I said to Jones, "'I thought you looked at the egg spilled on his chin and shirt-front.' "'I did,' said Jones.' That is where I began my deduction. Rheingelder is a very economical, saving man. Yesterday's eggs dropped in the market to twenty-eight cents per dozen. Today they are quoted at forty-two. Rheingelder ate eggs yesterday, and today he went back to his usual fare. A little thing like this isn't anything, Watsup. It belongs to the primary arithmetic class. When we boarded the streetcar, we found the seats all occupied, principally by ladies. Jones and I stood on the rear platform. About the middle of the car sat an elderly man with a short gray beard, who looked to be the typical well-dressed New Yorker. At successive corners, other ladies climbed aboard, and soon three or four of them were standing over the man, clinging to straps and glaring meaningly at the man who occupied the coveted seat, but he resolutely retained his place. "'We New Yorkers,' I remarked to Jones, "'have about lost our manners as far as the exercise of them in public goes.' "'Perhaps so,' said Jones lightly. "'But the man you evidently refer to happens to be a very chivalrous and courteous gentleman from old Virginia. He is spending a few days in New York with his wife and two daughters, and he leaves for the South to-night.' "'You know him, then?' I said in amazement. "'I never saw him before we stepped on the car,' declared the detective, smilingly. "'By the gold tooth of the Witch of Endor!' I cried. "'If you can construe all that from his appearance, you are dealing in nothing else than black art.' "'The habit of observation. Nothing more,' said Jones. "'If the old gentleman gets off the car before we do, I think I can demonstrate to you the accuracy of my deduction.' Three blocks farther along, the gentleman rose to leave the car. Jones addressed him at the door. "'Pardon me, sir, but are you not Colonel Hunter of Norfolk, Virginia?' "'No, sir,' was the extremely courteous answer. "'My name, sir, is Ellison, Major Winfield R. Ellison, from Fairfax County, in the same state. 
I know a good many people, sir, in Norfolk. The Goodriches, the Tollivers, and the Crabtrees, sir, but I had never had the pleasure of meeting your friend, Colonel Hunter. I am happy to say, sir, that I am going back to Virginia tonight, after having spent a week in your city with my wife and three daughters. I shall be in Norfolk in about ten days, and if you will give me your name, sir, I will take pleasure in looking up Colonel Hunter and telling him that you inquired after him, sir.' "'Thank you,' said Jones. "'Tell him that Reynolds sends his regards, if you will be so kind.' I glanced at the great New York detective and saw that a look of intense chagrin had come upon his clear-cut features. Failure in the slightest point always galled Shamrock Jones. "'Did you say your three daughters?' he asked of the Virginia gentleman. "'Yes, sir. My three daughters, all as fine girls as there are in Fairfax County,' was the answer. With that, Major Ellison stopped the car and began to descend the step. Shamrock Jones clutched his arm. "'One moment, sir,' he begged, in an urbane voice in which I alone detected the anxiety. "'Am I not right in believing that one of the young ladies is an adopted daughter?' "'You are, sir,' admitted the Major from the ground. "'But how the devil you knew it, sir, is more than I can tell.' "'And... "'More than I can tell, too,' I said as the car went on. Jones was restored to his calm, observant serenity by having wrested victory from his apparent failure. So after we got off the car, he invited me into a café, promising to reveal the process of his latest wonderful feat. "'In the first place,' he began after we were comfortably seated, "'I knew the gentleman was no New Yorker because he was flushed and uneasy and restless on account of the ladies that were standing, although he did not rise and give them his seat. I decided from his appearance that he was a Southerner rather than a Westerner. Next I began to figure out his reason for not relinquishing his seat to a lady when he evidently felt strongly but not overpoweringly impelled to do so. I very quickly decided upon that.' I noticed that one of his eyes had received a severe jab in one corner, which was red and inflamed, and that all over his face were tiny round marks about the size of the end of an uncut lead pencil. Also upon both of his patent leather shoes were a number of deep imprints shaped like ovals cut off square at one end. Now, there is only one district in New York City where a man is bound to receive scars and wounds and indentations of that sort— and that is along the sidewalks of 23rd Street and a portion of 6th Avenue south of there. I knew from the imprints of trampling French heels on his feet and the marks of countless jabs in the face from umbrellas and parasols carried by women in the shopping district that he had been in conflict with the Amazonian troops. And as he was a man of intelligent appearance— I knew he would not have braved such dangers unless he had been dragged thither by his own womenfolk. Therefore, when he got on the car, his anger at the treatment he had received was sufficient to make him keep his seat in spite of his traditions of southern chivalry. That is all very well, I said, but why did you insist upon daughters, and especially two daughters? Why couldn't a wife alone have taken him shopping? There had to be daughters, said Jones calmly. If he had only a wife, and she near his own age, he could have bluffed her into going alone. If he had a young wife, she would prefer to go alone. So there you are. I'll admit that, I said. But now, why two daughters? And how, in the name of all the prophets, did you guess that one was adopted when he told you he had three? 
"'I don't guess,' said Jones, with a touch of pride in his air. "'There is no such word in the lexicon of ratiocination. "'In Major Ellison's buttonhole there was a carnation and a rosebud backed by a geranium leaf. "'No woman ever combined a carnation and a rosebud into a boutonniere. "'Close your eyes, Watsup, and give the logic of your imagination a chance.' "'Cannot you see the lovely Adele fastening the carnation to the lapel, "'so that Papa may be gay upon the street? "'And then the romping Edith May dancing up with sisterly jealousy "'to add her rosebud to the adornment? "'And then,' I cried, beginning to feel enthusiasm, "'when he declared that he had three daughters, "'I could see,' said Jones, "'one in the background who added no flower, "'and I knew that she must be adopted.' I broke in. I give you every credit, but how did you know he was leaving for the South tonight? In his breast pocket, said the great detective. Something large and oval made a protuberance. Good liquor is scarce on trains, and it is a long journey from New York to Fairfax County. Again, I must bow to you, I said, and tell me this, so that my last shred of doubt will be cleared away. Why did you decide that he was from Virginia? "'It was very faint, I admit,' answered Shamrock Jones. "'But no trained observer could have failed to detect the odor of mint in the car.'" You have to love a little bit of satire, especially when it's done well. And this is a fantastic riff on Sherlock. I love that even though Shamrock Jones's observations are completely ridiculous, he still usually arrives at the correct answer. I had that happen to me in an algebra class a time or two. Shamrock, if you're interested, appears in two other stories from O. Henry, The Sleuths and The Detective Detector. His stories are easy to find with a Google search. I am definitely going to revisit O. Henry in the future, and I hope you enjoyed it. Okay, so when this episode airs, it will be about a week and a half until Thanksgiving, and the first week of A Christmas Carol. I read it last year in the five weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we had such a good time that I decided to make it an annual tradition. Tune in each week on my YouTube channel, not only for chat and games, but also each week that you attend, you'll get an entry to win the book I'll be reading from, signed and sent to you. If you're there every week, you'll get an additional entry, so save the dates. Beginning Thursday, Thanksgiving night at 9 p.m. Eastern, come and listen to the tale of Ebenezer Scrooge and hang out with us. I hope to see you there. Now, if you're enjoying Fido, then you should definitely subscribe on your podcast platform of choice so you don't miss an episode. You can also go to FidoPodcast.com and listen on any device. Make sure and share Fado with your friends and family if you like what you're hearing. Word of mouth is my best advertisement. Don't forget to leave me a comment or a question, and I might be able to read them on the air. I love hearing from my listeners. Don't miss the store as well. T-shirts, sweatshirts, stickers, and even a Fado pint glass can all be yours. Look for the link on my website. You also don't want to miss out on the exclusive Fedork fan t-shirt. You'll have to message me in order to get one because they're not on any website. So, if you're a true Fedork, let me know. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Fedo Podcast. And if you would like to support the show more directly, you can become a patron. 
I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. There's behind-the-scenes content, early access to upcoming episodes, merchandise discounts, and if you join, you'll get a personal handwritten thank you from me in the mail, as well as a Fado sticker. Also, you'll get a mention here on the show. That brings us to the end of episode 83. Watch for the next episode of Fado coming soon. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you once upon a next time. Fido is a member of the Pizza Rice Podcasting Collaborative. Check us out at pizzaricepodcast.com.